He has shown you, O man, what is good. So what's that say to you? Without excuse. Because he's shown you. He has shown you, O man, what is good. You know, people ask that question, well, what is good? You know, what's the good thing to do? Well, he's, you belong to him. He's shown you what is good. And what does the Lord require of you but to, here it comes, do justice, love mercy, and walk humbly with your God. Do justice, love mercy, and walk humbly with your God. So to the 8th century B.C. Jew who lived in the time of the prophet Micah, this verse would have had an immediate connection to the Torah. Torah, the first five books of the Bible written by Moses. And it would have been understood to be specifically referencing the keeping of the law, which not only included the Ten Commandments, but also all of the feast days, sacrificial offerings, prayer vigils, tithings, interrelational structures for families, communities, tribes, religious functions regarding priests, prophets, and eventually, when they got one, the king. So there was a lot in those five books that they had to follow. Okay? So a lot more than just the Ten Commandments. Now, besides all of this, there were multitudes of volumes called the Talmud, written by renowned rabbis that explained how to not only keep the law, but also how to circumvent the law in order not to violate it. Going to say that again, all right? For all these teachings that explained how to not only keep the law, but also how to circumvent the law in order to not violate it. Right, I'm going to explain that. For instance, the third commandment stated no work on the Sabbath. Right? It's a Sabbath day, you rest, you don't work. Right? So this was further defined by the rabbis regarding how far you could walk on the Sabbath day before it became work. They came up with about a quarter of a mile. But then it was further refined to a quarter of a mile from what? Personal property, right? So here's a glitch. The more property you own, the farther you can go, right? Oh, so... Really, I'd like to go visit Uncle Joe, but he's on the other side of town. That's a bummer. So the priesthood and the local government came up with this idea that you could, anyone ever done a timeshare? Right? So you own this piece of property along with a whole bunch of other people who own the same piece of property and get to use it at various appropriate times, right? So that's what they did. You could buy ownership of a street or a trail that abutted your property that gave you the right to walk the full length and breadth of where that trail or street went in any direction, and you would never leave your property. So if you had a street that ran from Jerusalem all the way to, say, Lebanon, yeah, <laughs> right? If you happened to be you know, right, on, right at the Damascus Gate, you had a free ticket all the way to Syria on the Sabbath day. 
right? So that's what I mean by circumventing the law. You wouldn't be violating it because you owned that piece of street, right? Crafty little dudes, aren't they? So the Jews became expert at keeping the law, but for all the wrong reasons. And in doing so, they lost the better part of what God desired to bless them with, justice, mercy, and humility. That is the hallmark of a healthy relationship with the living God. Jesus addresses this issue in his day, 700 years after Micah. In Matthew 23, he's talking to the priesthood. He says, woe to you, scribes and Pharisees, you hypocrites. Gentle Jesus, so gentle. Not going to ruffle anybody's sheets, right? But you hypocrites. I love this guy. For you tithe mint and dill and cumin. So did you ever see cumin seeds? They're little teeny things, right? So can you see them? So I got... Uh, 10,000 cumin seeds, let's see, one, two, three, they're going to count out a thousand seeds, right? Going to do the same thing with the dill. I mean, they, they were just right on with this stuff. You keep the tithe, right? But you have neglected the weightier matters of the law, justice, mercy, and faithfulness. These you ought to have done without neglecting the others. There's nothing wrong with doing things right as long as you do them fully right. You can't just do right in a portion. Oh, well, I'll give him his 10% right down to the, to the knit, right? right? Cross that T, dot that I. He gets, that's what he gets, right? And leave out all of the justice, mercy, humility and faithfulness that he requires of us in doing it. Woe to you, scribes and Pharisees, you hypocrites, for you clean the outside of the cup and the plate, but inside they are full of greed and self-indulgence. Wow. You blind Pharisees, first clean the inside of the cup and the plate, that the outside also may be clean. Woe to you, scribes and Pharisees, you hypocrites, for you are like whitewashed tombs, which outwardly appear beautiful, but within are full of dead people's bones and all uncleanness. So you also outwardly appear righteous to others, but within you are full of hypocrisy and lawlessness. Pretty heavy, Pastor. Come on. Lighten up, will you? So why am I talking about all this when we're supposed to be talking about serving? Because time and history have shown us that it is very easy to become religious in the practice of religion. You all know what I mean by that, right? Religious. Okay, good. And this is especially true when it comes to doing those religious activities that we call works the practical, the mundane, the stuff that has the least reward for doing or garners a minimal amount of praise for accomplishing. The places that get dirt under our fingernails or leaves an unpleasant odor on our clothing, right? The places where justice and mercy coupled with humility can
can be a windfall of blessing for the least deserving from our religious perspective. You see, serving is not about servanthood. It's about a servant's heart. You can do all of the right things in all of the wrong ways and feel good about it until he says to you, hey, you little hypocrite, come over here. <laughs> so this is funny because I'm uh, dealing long distance with, with somebody that I've been ministering to for years. They've, they've moved another part of the country and uh, they were just confronted. Uh, they were up for a promotion and they really thought they had it and they were confronted with a, a sense of arrogance, really arrogant. And uh, I said, how do you feel about that? He said, I was really upset. You know, I wanted to just, Ur! So, But I had a couple of hours drive after the uh, interview and uh, the Lord said to me, well, it's all true. all true, right? How many have ever gotten that one, right? Right? You little scribe, you hypocrite. Right? We all got that in us. It's just in us, you know? And he's the only one, really, who can shine a light on it in a way. People can tell you stuff. I, I, I get this all the time as a pastor, you know? You're speaking into someone's life, tell them something, and it's like goes in the air and out the other and floats down the street. And then they come in one day and they say, oh, man, I was in prayer. I was worshiping. All of a sudden, the Lord said to me, and they say, just what you've been telling them for six months, I can't believe it. What do you mean you can't believe it? <laughs> Don't laugh, Tom. <laughs> <laughs> Get my mirror. Don't laugh, Dick. <laughs> Anyways. So what might it look like to do justice, to love mercy and walk humbly with your God? Well, I'm so glad you asked that because God addresses that question through the prophet Isaiah in Isaiah 58. I'd really like you to turn there in your own Bibles and if you are able to take notes. Uh, this is actually Isaiah 58. And Matthew 25 are the two founding scriptures that started this church back in 1991. We had a little prayer meeting in my living room, and we felt like the Lord said, I want you to launch, I want you to start meeting on a regular basis, I want you to start a house church, and this is what you're going to work out of. I want you to find all the least of these, the people nobody else wants, the disenfranchised, the dirty the hungry, and the poor, and embrace them. And these were the scriptures that he gave us. So Isaiah 58, cry aloud, do not hold back, lift up your voice like a trumpet. Declare to my people their transgression, to the house of Jacob their sins. Yet they seek me daily and delight to know my ways. Nothing wrong with that, right? Seeking the Lord daily and delighting in his ways. They want, you, want, you want to know how the Lord relates to you, right? As if they were a nation that did righteousness and did not forsake the judgment of their God, 
They ask me for righteous judgments. They delight to draw near to God. Uh, do you see a mixture there? Hmm. Why have we fasted and you did not see it? Why have we humbled ourselves and you take no knowledge of it? Behold, in the day of your fast, you seek your own pleasure and oppress all other workers. Behold, you fast only to quarrel and to fight and to hit with the wicked fist. Fasting like yours this day will not make your voice to be heard on high. Is such the fast that I choose, a day for a person to humble himself? Is it to bow down his head like a reed and to spread sackcloth and ashes unto him? Will you call this a fast and a day acceptable to the Lord? Now, I, I want to clarify because that word humble yourself, it could throw you off kilter there. Because what the Lord is talking about is a display of false humility. Right? So they would do things like go to a corner and they'd put sackcloth down on the ground and they'd tear their robes and they'd get a bunch of ashes and pour it on their head and they'd start wailing and, and look at me, look at me, look at me. And then people come out, oh, what's going on, you know, and draw all this attention to it. It was a false humility. And that's what the Lord's addressing here. So this is not only the activity of fasting for the religious of the 8th century Jew, but also the self-centered religious motivation of the activity. And if it was so for them, it can be just as easily so for us. So the Lord goes on to explain what he is really looking for. He says this, Is not this the fast that I choose? to loose the bonds of wickedness, to undo the straps of the yoke, to let the oppressed go free, and to break every yoke. Now, I can give you uh, the name of an organization that answers those three requirements right there, Love 146. Love 146 does all of that in what they do. Okay. If you're not familiar with them, they are an organization that um, releases children who are trapped in sexual um, oppression, mostly overseas, you know, sex slaves. They get them out of brothels. They get them out of bars. They bring them to a uh, halfway house, and they give them uh, housing. They give them care. They give them education all the way through college if they choose to stay. And uh, that's a fast to the Lord. That's a fast. Is it not to share your bread with the hungry and to bring the homeless poor into your house when you see the naked to cover him and not to hide yourself from your own flesh? Then shall your light Break forth like the dawn, and your healing shall spring up speedily. Your righteousness shall go before you. The glory of the Lord shall be your rear guard. Then you shall call, and the Lord will answer. You shall cry, and he will say, Here I am. If you take away the yoke from your midst, the pointing of the finger, and speaking wickedness, if you pour yourself out for the hungry, and satisfy the desire of the afflicted. 
Then shall your light rise in the darkness, and your gloom be as the noonday. And the Lord will guide you continually and satisfy your desire in scorched places and make your bones strong. And you shall be like a watered garden, like a spring of water whose waters do not fail. And your ancient ruins shall be rebuilt. You shall raise up the foundations of many generations. You shall be called the repairer of the breach, the restorer of the streets to dwell in. If you turn back your foot from the Sabbath, from doing your pleasure on my holy day, and call the Sabbath the delight and the holy day of the Lord honorable. If you honor it, not doing your own ways or seeking your own pleasure or talking idly, then you shall take delight in the Lord, and I will make you ride on the heights of the earth. I will feed you with the heritage of Jacob your father, for the mouth of the Lord has spoken. Wow. Now that's quite a fast, isn't it? So what exactly is he saying here? In a nutshell, it's not about religion. It's about relationship. I forget what I was listening to, a podcast or, or something, and they were talking about a particular ministry, and uh, they're giving, and you have to do this in ministry, you know, giving numbers, figures, growth patterns, all of this, and, and somebody said, you know, hold on, will you? It's not about all that. Dang it, it's about the people. It's about the people. That's what God is saying here. It's not about the activity. It's about the people. If you think you need to beat yourself up with inappropriate self-effacing behavior that causes you to be abusive or angry toward others in word or deed. So if you're so stretched out in doing your ministry that you go home and you're angry at your spouse, Right? Sharp with your children. Guess what? Take a sabbatical. Put the ministry down and get your attitude in line with the attitude of the living God because he's not happy with the works you're doing. Right? You got it all wrong. You want God to take notice of your needs? I do, right? To pay attention to your situations and circumstances? I do, right? To bless your life. Do you want God to bless your life? Absolutely, right? Then try this. Find someone who is oppressed or depressed. who can't seem to get ahead and is always alone and become their friend. Find a hungry person, give them food. Take note of the old lady walking down the street in ankle-deep snow with no coat on and sneakers on her feet. Stop your car, give them your coat, take off those new winter boots and give them to her and then drive her to a destination. You know why I chose that? Because Martha came home barefoot one day and with no coat on. That's right. I said, where are your boots, your coat? She said, I saw this old lady walking down through the street. 
sneakers. What could I do? I said, exactly what you did. Some of you have done similar things. I know that. I know that about a lot of you. Take care of your own family, right? What's it say up there? Neglect not your own flesh. He's not talking about, you know, taking a bath every night, <laughs> right? Who? You find someone that's overworking. Who who gets the abuse of that? The family, right? The family. Neglect not your own flesh. It's a big issue. Even when they are shipwrecked, rebellious or offensive to you, do not turn from your own flesh. Why? How? I think these verses from Jesus answer both of these questions in Matthew 25. When the Son of Man comes in his glory and all the angels with him. So when is that? The end of the age, right? When he comes back for his bride, right? It's going to come. So this is what's going to happen. Then he will sit on his glorious throne. Before him will be gathered all the nations, and he will separate people one from another as a shepherd separates the sheep from the goats. And he will place the sheep on his right, but the goats on the left. When the king, then the king will say to those on his right, Come, you who are blessed by my father, inherit the kingdom prepared for you from the foundation of the world. Now listen, if there's anything you ever want to hear, you just heard it, but you don't want to hear it from me. You want to hear it from him on that day. Okay? So it's really important that you pay attention to what follows. For I was hungry, and you gave me food. This is Jesus speaking. I was hungry, and you gave me food. I was thirsty, and you gave me drink. I was a stranger, and you welcomed me. I was naked, and you clothed me. I was sick, and you visited me. I was in prison, and you came to me. Then the righteous will answer him, saying, Lord, when did we see you hungry and feed you, or thirsty and give you drink? And when did we see you a stranger and welcome you, or naked and clothe you? And when did we see you sick or in prison and visit you? And the king will answer them, truly, I say to you, as you did it to one of the least of these, my brothers, you did it to me. Yeah, you can applaud that. That's good stuff. So Mother Teresa described her ministry in India as finding Christ in the distressed disguise of the poor. In the distressed disguise of the poor. Servanthood. New Testament servanthood is not about doing of deeds or good works. That is merely the outworking of servanthood. Real servanthood that looks like, feels like, and impacts like Jesus is an issue of the heart. Servanthood translates to servant's heart. 
a heart modeled for us by Jesus himself. Jesus says this about himself in Luke 22:27b. But I am among you as one who serves, right? He identified with the servanthood. He then demonstrates servanthood from the heart in John 13 when he washes his disciples' feet. And it, after accomplishing that, he says, If I then, your Lord and teacher, have washed your feet, you also ought to wash one another's feet. For I have given you an example that you also should do just as I have done to you. And I, I want to say that is an expansive statement. It doesn't just apply to washing feet. Whatever we see him doing in the Gospels, he's done it, so we have an example to do what he has done. Then he addresses us in John 14, 15. He says this, if you love me, if you love me, do you love him? I love him, I love him. You will keep my commandments. He has called us to be servants of the servant king and friends of the most high God. And it is in this place, this place of obedience compelled by love, that the unexpected blessings of obedience metamorphosize into the abundantly more than we could ever imagine promises of the yes and amen of Jesus as friend and lover of our soul. Luke 5, this is an awesome example. Luke 5, 4. When he had finished speaking, he's standing on the shores of the Galilee. He turns to Simon Peter, who's in his boat. He says, put out into the deep and let down your nets for a cash. catch. Simon answered, Master, we have toiled all night and took nothing. Now, if, if you've ever been over there, you'll know that all of the fishing that takes place on the Sea of Galilee takes place at night. They go out in these uh, fishing boats with nets, and they put a lantern on the bow of the boat, and the light attracts the fish to the boat, and they drop the nets and just pull them up. They're, they're, not, they're not fishing like Tom does, right? So Peter says, listen, we've been out there all night long, haven't caught a thing. But at your word, I will let down the nets. What is that? That's obedience by love, right? Because you said it, I'll do it. Wow. I love that. And when they had done this, they enclosed a large number of fish and their nets were breaking. They signaled to their partners in the other boat to come and help them, and they came and filled both boats so that they began to sink. Now, that's a lot of fish. That's a lot of fish. I mean, from going from nothing all night to a simple act of obedience based on love, and the catch is overwhelming. Translate that to your own needs. The futility of our self-based works up against the prosperity and the abundance of the promises of Jesus Christ that are yes and amen by the power of the cross, right? 
Then in John 15, 15, he says to his disciples, and he says this to you today, no longer do I call you servants, for the servant does not know what his master is doing, but I have called you friends. For all that I have heard from my father, I have made known to you. And where did we start? He has shown you, O oh man. He has shown you. All that I've gotten from the Father, he has shown you. I want to just give a very recent example of a servant's heart in action. At the food pantry uh, this past stormy Thursday, right, it was pretty nasty out there Thursday, wasn't it? And uh, we, we had quite a turnout for a day as bad as it was. And we also had a USDA delivery at the end of the day, so there was a lot of busyness and a lot of activity, and we still had to clean up and all of that. And as we're getting down to the end of the cleanup, someone is down by the front doors, and they said, oh, someone left their umbrellas. And Bob says, no, no they're, they're mine. He said, but there's two of them. He said, yeah, I brought two umbrellas. And I said, he just doesn't like getting wet. And Bob said, no, I was thinking before I left the house, you know, it's really nasty out. People are going to be coming in and coming out in the rain, so maybe I'll bring an extra umbrella so they won't get wet. Okay? That's a servant's heart. That's a servant's heart. Right? Something internal said there's going to be a need, and I'm going to be ready for it. Okay. Let's pray. If you'd stand with me, please. Lord, you possess so many awesome titles, but the one we lay hold of today is Servant King. For who could have ever served humanity like you have served humanity? Giving all of yourself for all of us. And Lord, we ask you as we consider this idea of servanthood, of serving, of a servant's heart, all of the dynamics of the religious implications and the, uh, the fruit of justice and mercy and humility and faithfulness. Lord, in looking at all of that, we would ask you to come, even as you did to that friend of mine, would you come in a quiet moment in our hearts and minds and show us where we are at with this idea of servanthood. When the day comes, O oh God, we all want to hear, well done, good and faithful servant. But Lord, sometimes our ideas of servanthood are not your ideas of servanthood. So would you come, Holy Spirit, and instruct us, inform us, and change us from the inside out. Lord, would you heal us of those things uh, that need to put us in the forefront that our servanthood becomes about how we look or what we get out of it. Lord, we want to abandon that 
today, Lord, even the things when we don't know we're doing it, Lord. It's just so ingrained into our fallen humanity, oh God, that we keep on acting that way. But you, oh God, you go deep into the issues of the heart and you change us. You restore us. Lord, you redeem us and you reconcile us to your ways. So we invite you to come today, Holy Spirit, and do that. Speak to our hearts today. Lord, if there's sin, point it out. If there's ways that need to change, attitudes that need to be adjusted, would you show us, oh God, that we might come to you in true humility and repentance and become the servant you desire us to be. We ask this, oh God, that we would be an effective church in our community. There are so many that are poor and broken and in bondage, Lord, that need what you offer through the church. We want to be that resource, Lord. Lord, whether we're here or from our own homes or at a, at a stop sign, looking at that old lady walking in the snow in sneakers, that you would compel us by love to be servants of the Most High God. We thank you for the opportunity to do what you have done in so many ways. We say yes to you.